Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. In this series, host Daniel J. Marino, Managing Partner of Lumina, talks to the top experts and thought leaders in healthcare to help you navigate the journey to value-based care in the ever-changing landscape of the industry. The goal in this series is simple. We want to bring you disruptive success strategies by leveraging Lumina's experiences, stories, and insights by working with health professionals and organizations across the country. In today's episode, Dan links up with internal medicine physician Dr. Asad Zaman to discuss the opportunities and challenges of independent providers remaining independent in today's healthcare environment. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and any questions that are at the top of your mind. Now let's get started. Welcome, everybody. In today's episode, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the opportunities and challenges of independent providers remaining independent in today's healthcare environment. As we all know, independent providers are definitely challenged. Physicians who have wanted to stay independent, particularly over the the last number of years, have been faced with many challenges. Some of those are financial challenges. Some of those are operational challenges. Some of those are are challenges um, with negotiating good contract with payers, all of which has led many independent physicians to become employed or to join other medical groups. And it really does become a little bit of a a challenge to the overall healthcare system, if you will. You know, years ago, there were many physicians who were solo practice physicians or, you know, joined um, a two or three or four physician medical group and were successful for years. My great grandfather was a family practice physician and had a solo practice for many, many years and was extremely successful. He enjoyed it. That's what he was really passionate about. And he did well. But in today's environment, things have really changed. And it's really becoming um, almost to the point where independent physicians or solo practice physicians are becoming a thing of the past. And it's really a shame. But what we're starting to see, as we've talked about before, are Physicians who have a real business-minded focus on their practice, on the healthcare industry, are looking at different opportunities to grow their practice and to remain independent. So in our episode today, I'm very pleased to have with us a internal medicine physician, Dr. Saad Zaman, who over the years has done a fantastic job of developing his practice, being true to his vision, and growing opportunities that has support his practice remaining independent. And it's interesting, Dr. Zaman and I have known each other for, for a number of years, and his practice continues to grow, his practice continues to, to thrive, and as you, he'll, he'll describe, he's continued to add a number of providers. He is extremely attractive to hospitals around the Chicago area where his practice is located, yet he's remained independent. And he's done this a couple of different ways. He's done this by diversifying revenue opportunities, which he'll talk about. He's done this by making smart decisions about costs, 
what should be included, what should be outsourced. And he's also done this by creating strong relationships, relationships with other providers, relationships with health systems, and even relationships with the payers. So with that said, Dr. Zaman, very pleased to have you with us today. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you for inviting me. So Dr. Zaman, why don't you spend just a couple of minutes providing a little background on your practice for our audience. Thank you. So I'm an internal medicine doctor, as you said, and I started my practice uh, solo in 1999. And before that, I worked for three years or so as a hospital-employed physician in a local Chicagoland hospital. And when I started solo practice, my vision was to not to stay independent from the very, very beginning. So after four years of practice, I hired my first physician uh, with the help of a hospital. Like you mentioned, you have to maintain good relationship with the peers, with your local hospitals. And the hospital uh, assisted me finding a quality physician who is with me now uh, 17, 18 years now, and uh, taking a lot of different responsibilities. And we have grown uh, from one location to now uh, five locations, and we are total of 11 providers now. So since 1999, you've seen a lot of changes. And one particular change I'd like to highlight is certainly the differences in reimbursement that has occurred, right? So I would imagine in 99, you entered healthcare, um, probably getting involved in some level of, of capitation, probably some you know, straight fee-for-service reimbursement. And obviously it's shifted now to where you know, your, your reimbursement is cut and um, you know, you're entering into these value-based care contracts. How has that impacted your practice over the years? Yeah, that's the interesting thing. Everybody says reimbursement has gone down. Actually, reimbursement is improved if you are focusing on the true concept of value-based care. If you are focusing on pay for performance, the payers are giving the back-end performance improvement or related bonuses that covers the cost. The challenge is to maintain the standard of practice, the requirements for the best patient care, for the best patient outcome, the investment into it, to hiring the personnel, to put technology in place. The delta between the reimbursement and the cost of uh, operation has decreased. So that's the real challenge that we had to overcome by scaling. That's a great point is you've had to evolve the way you're thinking around these different reimbursement models, right? You know, look, going from straight fee-for-service reimbursement to fee-for-value reimbursement. It sounds like you really maximize the opportunities, right? So you've invested in some of the data, you've invested in your EHR, you know, you've, you've thought about how you need to manage patients differently. And it sounds like it's, it's really provided some, some, rice, some nice financial opportunities for you. Absolutely. Can you just uh, elaborate just a little bit on that? Sure. Maybe Asad, just elaborate a little bit on, you know, maybe where you've seen some of those opportunities, um, whether it's looking at the data or care management, or maybe 
coordinating care with sure. um, you know you, the post acute providers or something. Yes, basically what we found uh, when the requirements came that these are the metrics of standard patient outcome care, uh, care related to outcome, I found that we need to have a robust electronic medical system and things like that. And at that time, uh, different hospitals and PHOs were extending that type of opportunity partnership. And we went with one of the largest PHO in Chicagoland area, and we were the first practice to volunteer ourselves to be the quote unquote guinea pig, basically. Nobody was doing EMR then and EHR then. And we jumped on and we went through the growing pain, but we learned a lot. And at that time, we actually did a internal survey and looked at 20 Medicare, straight Medicare charts and 20 managed care charts. And we saw that we were more vigilant about outcome related patient care in those managed care patients. And I was able to convince my practice that look, it may look like more work, but we are doing a better job in managed care arena. And we have to provide that to all of our patients. And then we focused on the correct metrics setting and uh, working with the PHO to develop a program. And that's how we jumped and stayed ahead in the game of patient care. Wow, that's great. So I, you know, I think what a lot of independent physicians don't recognize, uh, probably certainly not as much as I think you have, is the you have to maintain a good relationship with the hospital or you know, the physician hospital organization, the PHO, if you can maintain that, um, then it's sort of a win-win for both, right? Because at the end of the day, the hospital still wants the patients in their network. They still want to have the referrals. And, you know, the primary care physicians provide that mechanism, you know, to, to keep the patients in the network. Um, yet the, the physician, the independent physician, needs to have the right level of support, whether that's resources or technology or even the contracting in order to really maximize their practice potential. And it sounds like some of the, you know, the work that you've done really building that relationship with the hospital has been a, a strong key to the success of your practice. Absolutely. You know, like a leadership role uh, is, is key to this success, I would say, that at one point in the hospital, just being in the committees, it started, I started, I remember, I started with the ethics committee and the medical records committee. I was just a member, learned the way, uh, and eventually became the department chair, the PHO, SEO, vice chair, and all these things happened because not only just leadership opportunities, but also it's a learning opportunity. I saw where the, where the needs are in the future. Without being in those meetings, I would not know where the puck is going. I would stay where the puck is. And, and that helped me tremendously. And another point that you mentioned that uh, in the very beginning in the introduction that outsourcing, I looked at negotiating with 12 different payers was not cost effective for me. I would have to hire a good resources in the person. Instead, PHO is doing negotiating for me with all the pairs. So 
it is important to keep a good relationship with the PHO because it's mutually beneficial. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'll tell you, a lot of independent physicians' um, practices feel like they have to do it all. They feel like they have to negotiate their own contracts. And, you know, by the way, we're negotiating against the 900-pound gorilla. So, you know, what leverage do we have? Or they feel like they have to do their own billing and collection because they want to maintain, you know, that control. You know, or, or they feel like, you know, maybe they can't move forward with creating some aspects of care management because they can't afford it. I think a key to a successful practice and, and really a key to a successful business is understanding what you do and what you can do well versus maybe what you don't do so well and what you should outsource. And it sounds like Dr. Zaman, that's exactly what you've done. Absolutely. In a crossroad, I, I look at financially. Is it for me? Am I getting paid for doing this? If I am not getting paid for doing it, I would outsource it. And outsource to where? Do I have to outsource to my people inside the practice? Or should I outsource it to somebody who really does a good job on it? They're the experts. And one thing comes with it is trust. Physicians, I have met many solo physicians, small groups, uh, they have a trust factor. They cannot trust other colleagues or other uh, entities. And to collaborate and to outsource, you have to put your trust there, of course, with vigilance, but you know that's an important factor. Right. And you can't, you can't do everything internally. You, you just can't do it. I think you know, for independent physicians, one, they don't have the, you know, all of the resources to do it. But like you said, you don't have the, you don't have the expertise. So to know what you should take on internally, and is that going to make you money to your point versus what you should be outsourcing? And if you outsource it, you know, you have to do your homework, but you have to build the trust. I think that is such an important, important point. You know, one of the things I want to, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about is some of the things that you've done to grow your practice. You know, over the years, I've been very impressed with your business, you know, knowledge and your business acumen that has gone into thinking about not only how you need to build the relationships with hospitals and other providers, but in particular, how you've created new revenue streams, right? So, you know, obviously taking care of patients is the core of what you do. But you've also taken on other things and you've moved into other directions that have created other financial opportunities for you. And I, I can't help but think it's probably diversified your revenue um, as you've experienced some ebbs and flows such as COVID, right? That is correct. Yes. So basically before COVID, we were focusing that we have to um, increase our revenue stream there are many, many physicians I have seen increase their hours, seeing more patient and uh, doing more labs, uh, partnering up with the different uh, uh, entities uh, of, of patient care. But I thought that it is better to diversify and provide more service lines, as well as our physicians. At that point, we had three physicians we were and we said, how about medical education? You know, this is, a, this is a good name will go out. So we went out to different universities, um, medical uh, 
students started coming to our practice and also masters in healthcare administration, MHA program in local universities, we partnered up with them. Their students came and did internship with us, graduate students. And it was, it was very nice revenue stream as well as the word went out that our practice is diverse and aesthetics was another thing and urgent care uh, along with medication, I'm, I'm sorry, medical education was was where uh, we diversified basically. Yeah, that's great. And I'll tell you, I didn't really, I haven't really thought about building sort of a medical education, medical leadership within a private practice, but God, it makes so much sense if you think about it, right? And especially if you have, if you could build those relationships, one, I think with the, with the academics, they love that. Um, but also then with, with the hospitals, it provides a great opportunity to promote your practice. And I can't help but think you would, it's got to be a fantastic recruiting opportunity for you as well. Absolutely. They were, they were uh, those graduate uh, students from um, local university on MHA program, they helped me out in our post-acute network on throughputs, uh, on uh, return to hospital reduction projects and things like that. Uh, that segues to another aspect that when I was in the leadership of the local hospital, I saw the maximum return to hospital readmission was coming from the nursing homes. And basically that segue to the opportunity that I saw that, okay, why it is happening? And I can expand more on that, that how I got involved in post-acute network and it grew. So in your post-acute network, um, did, have you reached out to many of say the long-term care facilities or skilled nursing facilities to provide like medical directorship role or do you provide medical oversight? What are, what are some of the things that you're doing with the post-acute networks? Um, thank you for asking that because this is very close to my heart because what happened when I was in the vice chair in the PHO board of our hospital, um, I looked at the data that was being analyzed. I saw that, okay, this is an opportunity because we have uh, patients returning from to the hospital, which is costing the system a ton of money. And what we I found out that what is happening when the patient goes from hospital who cannot go back to home, needs a little bit of rehab, going to subacute rehab or post-acute network, what is happening in a given day in a hospital, patient is being seen by a doctor every day, attending physician. There are a couple of consultants seeing them every day. And the nurse, patient to nurse ratio is about six to one at the max. In ICU, it's one to one, but in a floor, it is six to one. Then suddenly we transfer the patient where the nurse ratio is 20 to one, one nurse taking care of 20 patients, and there is no consultant rounding. Attending rounds, if they're lucky, once a week, most cases, once every two weeks or a month, after Within 72 hours, they see the patient for the new admit, but then they basically see them once a month. I said, this gap is where the problem is and patient become coming to the hospital. So I went and approached few of the nursing home with the help of, again, with the relationship with the local hospitals. 
And uh, I said that I will do two things. You have licensed practical nurse, LPNs. Hospital has RNs. We need to increase their understanding education level to manage the patient. I will also talk to your doctors, give the medical direction that what needs to be done. And we tremendously reduced some of the nursing homes uh, return to hospital and improve the quality care. And in the long run, their liability in the lawsuits decreased, which I did not have any data to show, but you know that would be an inference that ultimately if you give proper patient care, uh, you will have less lawsuits litigations. And, and after that, actually it kept on growing. And now we get calls from different nursing homes uh, for our group to give medical directions. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Well, and, and I think a couple of things as you're describing that, one, you know, getting back to what you said, the trust factor, right? I mean, clearly, you know, you, you knew what needed to be done from a clinical standpoint, but the hospital had to trust you to really put in place that, that program. But I can't help but think, oh my goodness, the outcomes and the benefit for the hospital had to be tremendous, right? Cuts down the, the readmissions into the emergency room, that whole transition in care, which we all know is a huge driver of cost as we start to think about patients, particularly in the high risk area, that just had to be a tremendous, a tremendous benefit. And for you to be able to come into a program like that um, had to be you know, incredibly beneficial to everybody involved. Yes, and I, I have been rewarded for that to buy the growth of my practice and from three doctors when we started going to nursing homes uh, in, in that scale, um, now we have uh, 11 providers and we partner up with a nurse practitioner company where if we have a nurse practitioner need, they provide the nurse practitioner to give better care to the facility residents. Wow, that's fantastic. So then you went to the nursing homes with this sort of this medical oversight program, right? For lack of a, a better a better title. And then, so are the, the, the long-term care facilities then paying you directly for the medical oversight um, just to kind of watch the patients and then obviously working with the hospital and the transitions of care? Is that the way it works? That is correct. It's not only me, my doctors, we have protocols we created. We are, certi I'm certified medical director from American Medical Directors Association and Post-Acute Long-Term Care Society. And what I did, I got myself certified. And, you know, the historically, when nursing home was created in the 60s, there were no doctors. And then about a decade later, CMS recognized that, oh my gosh, you know, the patients are pretty much left alone. Nobody's taking care of them. Then the regulations came that a doctor, at that time, they didn't call medical director, a doctor will have to be assigned to be responsible. And that doctor was historically for past 30, 40 years was not doing, unfortunately, because they were busy doctors in the community, no fault to them because it still remained the low priority. And I saw that opportunity that if I make it my first priority, not only I would do the medical directions under the guidelines of and the American Medical Directors Association, but also 
I will provide the clinical care, coordinating it with the hospital so that the ER visits, ED visits, or the rehospitalization goes down and transition to the home becomes very smooth. And it has been tremendously successful. And to answer your question, yes, if they look at, uh, if they can reduce readmission, their census remains stable. If we do more care in the nursing home, their case mix index goes up, their reimbursement goes up because they're providing more care. So everybody wins and we get paid, our doctors get paid for the services they're providing. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I'll tell you, just a great benefit to the community, but I guess just another great example, Dr. Zaman, how you know you saw an opportunity from an entrepreneurial standpoint and you know created a, a financial component out of it just to diversify your practice. Plus, you know, frankly, it's you know, it's building on what you're passionate about. It's really seeing, you know, seeing patients. That's that's incredible. Um, one thing that you did bring up that I'd like to talk a little bit about is you mentioned a few times um, nurse practitioners. So clearly you have nurse practitioners in, in your practice. Um, how has that supported your vision of remaining independent as well as in supporting your vision of growing your practice? Well, uh, it goes back about, uh, I would say about 10, 12 years ago, I was in a meeting where there were about 50 physicians, 50 to 75 administrative um, people and um, in a hospital program. And they were talking about, they will put nurse practitioners in different pharmacy and outlets and things. All the doctors were very upset because they will lose business. And that meeting, I walked out and started recruiting nurse practitioner. I said, there is no way the growing population, aging population, and less number of doctors, uh, the ratio does not match. We will need more providers. And that has to be mid-level providers and mainly nurse practitioner, PAs. And we started recruiting. We were up to 15 nurse practitioner at one point before I outsourced them with another company because again, outsourcing management became an issue that I was spending more time than what I intended to do. So I said, you know, there are, outs uh, there are experts on that. Let them manage the nurse practitioner. And that tremendously helped me managing the patients in the facility. Like I say, the gap from the hospital to the nursing home is so many providers nursing attention to all of a sudden there is nobody there. Nurse practitioners are doing tremendous job in taking care of those patients. Yeah, I'll tell you, and you know, you're absolutely right. Many physicians, you know, maybe who've been practicing for a long time do see nurse practitioners as sort of a, a competition. Um, they believe they're gonna lose patients to uh, the nurse practitioner. But if, you know, to your point, if you can really align with the nurse practitioners, um, define how they need to support the practice, how they need to support, you know, patient care delivery, the, the opportunity has to be enormous. And I think what it really does is it allows you to expand much quicker in really an economically smart way 
as you start to think about how you need to grow and how you need to diversify. Yes, and, and a physician has three paths this today. One, they will have to join a, a hospital or a large group where he is or she is just another employee or collaborate and come into a picture of, of being entrepreneurial or join a group which is entrepreneurial and growth oriented and maintain their pretty much independence uh, with a respectful relationship or just die away. So to be honest, you know, like uh, just practice dwindles down and uh, patients find another doctor. Yes, you are absolutely correct. I think as, as we start to think about how we incorporate nurse practitioners in, in terms of the practice, like I said, there's um, certainly a need out there. There's not enough primary care as an example, uh, physicians. So to incorporate nurse practitioners just makes, makes a lot of sense. Well, Dr. Zaman, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on our program today and sharing some of your insights. I extremely am impressed about your practice and, and what you've done to, to grow your practice. And certainly in the challenging times of, of COVID, um, and even before that, I think you've positioned yourself really well. I'm sure many of our physicians who listen and who have struggled with independence, um, you certainly gave them some, some things to think about. Any closing remarks or any advice you might give to our audience as individuals are kind of thinking about where they need to go or maybe how they need to continue in an independent practice environment? Uh, sure, and um, thank you for bringing here uh, to discuss my ideas and vision and what I have done in the past. So I will do two things, uh, comment on two things. Always think of future. That's my advice to the independent practitioners, that where the puck is going. Like I, I will share that today uh, we are actively developing an app for international telehealth Given the COVID situation where we know in many parts of the world, they are not getting standard care. The country does not have those countries. I'm from Bangladesh and near India, and they do not have a standardized care. So a lot of people are calling personally to get advice. I said, okay, this is an opportunity that we can market there, that we can give you consultation. And that type of thing will have to be in their mind uh, and if they cannot do it, cannot scale it as an independent practitioner, they have to join people who are doing that. Yes, the opportunities are there to join a hospital, but there is the price to that loss of autonomy. I mean, like you have to think about what is more important. That's what I ask them to do that. Think about it. Your autonomy is how important. And if your autonomy is important, join a group where you can do things your way. Of course, there is certain standard to be maintained for the best patient outcome. And we suggest that they do that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think if, if physicians have that mindset, really want to remain independent, I think you, you've got to think entrepreneurial. You have to think about how you build relationships. Um, you know, and, and I think that's going to support making the good decisions to remain independent. Well, Dr. Zaman, I want to thank you again for coming on the show today. This has been fantastic. 
I know some of our audience members, you know, may want to get in contact with you. If it's okay with you, we'll put some of your contact information in our show notes. But again, I really want to thank you for your time today. This has been fantastic. Thank you, Dan. So as Dr. Zaman said, you know, there's a couple of real key things that are important as physicians are, you know, considering remaining independent. And I think the one area that struck me is really around relationships. And you have to have relationships, relationships with your hospitals, relationships with other providers. As Dr. Zaman said, he built strong relationship with the post-acute network. That was really key. I think a second area that is really important, certainly from a business standpoint, is diversification. You have to, have to diversify your revenue. You have to think of new revenue streams. If you just focus on patient care, frankly, I don't think it's enough. I think you have to focus on how you could create new revenue streams. You know, as Dr. Zaman said, medical education was really key. The medical directorship and post-acute was really key. I love the fact that he's thinking about doing a telemedicine app for international patients. I think that's, that's fantastic. I guess my closing advice to independent physicians is that there are alternatives out there. It's a hard, challenging environment in this day and age. And as we talked about, um, independent physicians are, you know, it's a shame, but they're almost becoming um, a thing of the past. And except those that are, have really done a good job of, of maintaining true vision, what we've seen is there is an option. They can become really successful. And I would recommend for any physician that wants to remain independent, reach out, talk to different people, build that relationship. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today, for listening to this engaging conversation. Until next time, I'm Dan Marino. Thank you. We want to thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. Lumina is your partner on the journeys of value-based care and all the pivots and challenges our industry faces daily. To learn more about us, visit us on LuminaHP.com. And if you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. Be sure to check out our show notes at LuminaHP.com backslash insights. Join us again where we continue to take a deep dive into what lies ahead and invite conversations with several of our colleagues and industry thought leaders on new trends that are emerging and know how we can continue to navigate and thrive. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.